This podcast features explicit language and spoilers. So, Will, hey. for the very first time, we actually have listener feedback. I'm excited. Yeah. And this was, in fact, listener feedback to a couple of episodes that you were on. So I thought it was appropriate to uh, feature this listener feedback on an episode where you came back. Uh, yeah, excellent. Well, I was excited to get these emails and I forwarded them, you know, to you and the other guests on the pods um, that they appeared on. Uh, these came from um, my girlfriend's mom, which is a kind of a weird way to put the thing like that. I don't know. It's one of those weird modern day issues where you have a uh, you have a partner, a life partner who you live with and are committed to. But um, the appropriate term is girlfriend <laughs> because you haven't like done a thing in a church and stuff. Mother-in-law-ish. Um, right? M- Mother-in-common-law, maybe. Yeah, um, sure. Sure, whatever. Um, That's the other reason why I saved it for your episode, by the way, because technically the feedback came to you. <laughs> <laughs> it did come to me, and I passed it along. Yeah. Um, but anyway, it's my uh, uh, mother-in-common-law, um, whose name is Peg, and she sent, uh, she listened to a couple of our podcasts, the uh, Little Women one, and also the 1917 episode. Um, and it's kind of interesting, because the reason that I uh, had prior knowledge of the Little Women film when we went to see it was because um, we saw it together uh, as a family on this past Christmas, we saw like the first show of the day. It was a matinee show. Um, it was completely backed up and sold out, and we were in line for a really long time, and it was kind of a mess. Um, but it was uh, it was a good experience, and uh, it was because of that that I was able to bring the having already watched the movie to our uh, group viewing. Um, so that was a little while ago, and I guess she caught up with the podcast somewhat recently. Uh, during this quarantine, I guess she's not going anywhere and stuck in the house also. Um, oh, and she's got nothing better to do than listen to this. <laughs> it's weird, right? Dark days. <laughs> um, and I will also, uh, well, I mentioned that I had seen it because um, I saw it with her and, uh, and you know, the rest of the family on this past Christmas. And it was a movie that she was very much looking forward to seeing, um, being both, I believe, a fan of Greta Gerwig and certainly a fan of the original book. Mm. And I will also mention that she was a public school teacher and principal for decades, so um, has that background as well. And I don't know specifically if she taught this book in class, um, but it's definitely something that she has that uh, approach to as well. Mm. Cool. So I'll go ahead and read her email. Cool. And we, um, uh, to be clear, do have permission to share. Do. 
we uh, we did get permission to share. Yeah. Um. So her email is entitled Little Women, uh, and it's to myself and to the Better Late Than Never Pod uh, Gmail account. And she says, "I listened to your exegesis on Greta Gerwig's Little Women and thought your commentary was fair enough." But I wanted to point out the extraordinary script Gerwig developed to ensure that the underutilized dialogue from the novel, particularly lines that had never before emphasized the unhappiness of Marmy and Joe with the feminist limitations of their life. Additionally, when Bronson Alcott returns from the war, Marmy cuts him down succinctly regarding his perpetual absence from his family. These are not the excerpts used in any prior film versions of the novel. Gerwig uncovered something truly seminal about the 19th century women in New England. Cool. This is very helpful just in particular from the perspective that I hadn't read the book. Right, same. Getting this input from someone who has read the book and is able to offer that perspective, this is, you know, we would never have been able to come up with this. So thank you very much for bringing this to our attention. That is very neat. I also was glad that she brought up a particular scene. Well, I'm assuming that she's referring to a particular scene, which was um, the Marmy and Joe scene in the attic towards the end, which I think is one of, or there's more than one, but I think this one in particular has uh, a lot of what she's talking about where they're talking about their lives and a lot of the kind of feminist ideas about their principles and choices come out in this scene. It's near the end. And Joe is kind of considering whether or not she's going to marry Timothy Chalamet. Um, We spent a lot of time talking about how much we liked the Florence Pugh scene and how great that monologue was and going on and on about how it's the best scene in the movie. And I stand by that, but um, because we went on so long about that, I kind of, it fell by the wayside that I had also really, really loved that scene. So I, I like having my attention here pulled back to that because that is a great scene. And what's more too is that um, there's a great part at the end of the scene. It's not actually the... Um, part about the feminist ideals it's more just from an empathy perspective as a viewer um the scene i think it's how it ends but um joe is talking about how she doesn't want to sacrifice her principles but the last thing she says in the scene is that but at the same time i'm just so lonely Mm -hmm. and man again i stand by the uh anointing of florence Pugh's monologue is the best part of the movie but boy is does that part really hit very hard and very well like i was quite moved by saoirse ronan's delivery in that moment and also laura dern you know her kind of understanding reception of that statement like there's she clearly gets it you know it's a very complicated thing to hear from your child where it's like you're supportive of what she's going to do. And yet at the same time, you know how difficult a road it's going to be. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just, it's, it's a wonderful scene. So 
Yeah, I was glad to uh, be given a reason to think and talk about it again. Yeah, yeah. same here. And um, I also, what I also liked about it is that it comes from a perspective of when she mentions, for instance, the underutilized dialogue uh, from the book. And I think it's one thing that we talked about actually on the pod where uh, one of the things that we actually determined made it less essential was that it was just kind of a retelling of a story that's been told a lot of times in the culture and, you know, had a very prominent film made of it uh, back in the 90s and, you know, several adaptations before then. Um, And it's something that I think you would catch on as being, you know, Maybe if you, for instance, hear a cover of a song that you really like and you have a different appreciation for it, if it's a song that you've heard a million times and, and, and know the history of um, or something like that. Uh, so I think there are certain aspects of the movie that maybe went over our heads or weren't fully appreciated just because uh, we don't have that uh, longstanding relationship with the source material. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, hopefully I I try and mention it as often as I can, but I hope I make it clear that I am nothing more than an enthusiastic amateur when discussing a film like I'm, you know, just someone who likes movies. So I'm I'm not bringing anything more to the table than that. So to actually get some feedback from someone, especially in this case, who's very familiar with the source material and has actually taught the source material. Mm -hmm. That's that's really cool. I wish I had gotten the chance to read it first. Normally I do like to read the book of something before I see the adaptation, but there wasn't time in this case. That makes this extra helpful. Um, And then there was feedback on 1917 too. Let's pull that up. Okay, 1917. I agree with your analysis of 1917, particularly the cinematography. It also reminded me of Dunkirk. However, the hero journey was more phantasmagorical. After Schofield crosses the bridge and is shot, there is a long blackout. When he awakes, he must run through the most hellish scene in Acoust's ruins. The scene when he strangled Balmer is done in a demonic silhouette of fire. Even the French girl and infant are phantom characters who rise and disappear. Maybe, as you both said, they prefigure his wife and family at the end. The baptismal rebirth scene in the river returns Schofield first to a purgatory of bloated bodies and then to humanity in the forest where the soldiers are singing, but headed toward death. Finally, the last tree he rests upon is possibly the most living, hopeful landscape in the film. Nature provides the respite man can never find until, quote unquote, the last man dies. Your host, that's you, Dave was correct when he said Americans prefer World War II films because there is recognizable evil. The war seems pointless, doesn't it? And then she says, thanks for enticing me to watch it. And uh, I'm, uh, I mean, that's a, it's a very, um, you know, beautiful and cogently put together uh, and, and intelligent take on the movie and our take on the take of the movie. Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, when, uh, when you first sent me to this, um, I thought about one particular part of it uh, a lot, which was um, the part about uh, the descent into hell and the baptismal imagery. Mm -hmm. And at first I was a little resistant to the idea of uh, Schofield is his name. Yeah. Schofield. 
Schofield. Um, I probably Schofield. said Schofield, but yeah. At first, I was resistant to the idea of the the his uh, trip down the river as being baptismal imagery, just because um, I think that ev- basically every time someone gets wet in a movie, you have people throwing around like, oh, that's like baptismal imagery mm-hmm. a lot of the time. But once I thought about it again, and especially combined with um, her pointing out that once he wakes back up and enters the ruins of the city, it is a pretty clear descent into hell, uh, both both visually and figuratively. Mm-hmm. So I, I, despite my resistance, came around to that. And it also kind of made me like, especially the scene in the ruins, a little bit better. Because up until that point, I'd kind of felt that the part in between him fighting the sniper and arriving to the forest where the soldiers were, that whole sequence in the the ruined town i kind of felt like that was the most um disposable part of the movie mm. and now looking back on it kind of with that new lens it really feels much more critical i think that's a good point um and i definitely uh, agree with you about a sort of resistance to um, some of that standard imagery um, that was evoked in the email. But uh, I think that it's it's right there and there's no denying it. And, you know, some of that, you know, baptismal imagery and hell imagery and purgatory imagery and stuff like that is just whether or not it was the intention of the filmmaker, I believe that it's just there and unavoidable if you do scenes like that. Um, because it's, you know, it's going to be interpreted that way or it just kind of is that way, uh, whether or not you decide, well, this is the kind of baptismal renewal scene um, when he goes into the water, uh, whether that that was a deliberate intent by the filmmakers or it's just kind of there, um, kind of doesn't really matter in the end. It's there anyway. Right. Um, and I, I mean, I certainly, I just, I feel like at least within the destroyed town, the descent into hell idea makes a lot of sense Mm -hmm. and just you know reframing the it it reframed the whole movie for me a little bit as a kind of divine comedy-esque sort of story yeah i mean that's interesting because i watching the movie um i think that we're all kind of familiar with sort of the hero's journey trope that's you know lord of the rings and harry potter and star wars and all down the line and um, I think because this was a much more realistic movie that was based historically, even though I sort of acknowledged the hero's journey trope, it didn't strike me as how exactly it kind of follows that exact pattern. Um, and uh, I forget what the other thing I was going to say about that was. Um, anyway, okay, I'll just leave it there then. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well... Anyway, long story short, uh, very cool feedback, and uh, thank you very much, Peg, for providing it. It gave me uh, gave me quite a bit to think about, and it was cool to sort of revisit those films and sort of chew them over again and 
you know actually come to some different conclusions about some stuff so thank you very much for for writing and uh i hope you do again yeah and thanks for listening too oh yes that too and please everyone out there download listen like and subscribe leave a five-star review on itunes do all of those things email us send us feedback we'd love to talk to you so yeah that is the end of our very first inaugural listener feedback section yay woo all right cool